Plucky. Yes, Nev. Have you seen the latest official program for the Bathurst 1000? Yeah, I've just been flicking through at the grand finale. Um, so produced by Supercar Extra magazine, and uh, it's the official program. So, yeah, how to flick through it. All right. So you've obviously got the hard copy. I've got both. I'm lucky. I've got the digital and the hard copy. So I uh, always like to file my hard copy, so I keep that forever. And uh, the um, the digital one, I find when I thumb through that, I don't damage it so badly. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you can go to the news agents for the hard copy. Where do you go for the digital copy? Uh, just type v8x.com.au into your web browser and it'll take you there. Nice. I think I'll go there. Thanks, Clarkie. See ya. As I was driving back into the in, into, into the paddock, just tears streaming down, just crying out loud, going, I can't believe I've got Poland Brothers! Well, here we go. It's race week. And who better to chat to about the significance of Bathurst than the host of Tens Coverage, Grant Denyer? Before that, we'll take a look at each driver pairing in our walk from the bottom of pit lane to the top, looking at the strengths and weaknesses of all the drivers and combinations. Can Holden win in its swan song race? The red line already has 33 wins. Imagine the emotions if it signs off with number 34. They say the mountain chooses its master. We'll know after 161 laps on the best racetrack in the world this Sunday. This is Supercars in Preview. Well, it's race week. Christmas Day is almost here. Well, for supercar fans, that is. Uh, it's part two of our Bathurst preview, and I'm joined by Andrew Clark. How you going, Clarky? Oh, look, I'm excited, Nev. I love this week. I love the build-up to this race. I love everything about it. It's uh, it's just special, isn't it? It's the reason why we're here. It's the reason why the sport exists, and um, it's, it's my mecca. We have a cracker episode this week. We've got Grant Denyer joining us uh, later on in the show, and we just fire a whole bunch of questions about Bathurst, what he loves most, television or motorsport. There's a whole lot of stuff going on there. It's actually a, a, a fun banter. Yeah, he's a great bloke, isn't he? I mean, he's just so easy to talk to and, and, and get through these things. Um, I mean, he's got his own little podcast running too, It's About Time, which is, uh, I was having listened to that today, it's a little bit amusing. So he's just a natural. And, uh, and, and what came through more to me about this was his passion for the place, for passion for Bathurst. And the fact that he even lives there now, it's even more bizarre. So uh, yeah, great little chat. Well, the reason we had him on, apart from that he's a great bloke, is he's heading up the Channel 10 broadcast team out of Bathurst. So we'll be looking forward to that. Yeah, well, we can, of course, watch that and then switch over when the race starts. So I'll certainly give him a bit of a crack. We'll have a listen and see how he's going. And uh... Well, he's good value and um, he's coming up. But first, this episode, we're going to get into a bit of news and then we're going to go through each team and driver combination, give you what we think and a bit of background on these combinations, crystal ball a little bit, give you a bit of stats, um, and then it's on to Grant. So uh, stay with us for all the fun and frivolity. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it's funny. It's uh, it's funny not being on the ground Bathurst week because Bathurst week is where the rumours swirl like you've never seen before. It's uh, like a wind blowing through the pits and a little willy willies flying around, and uh, yeah, it's a great place. So uh, there's obviously going to be a lot more rumours and things fire up this week. So we may end up having to do a special rumours edition next week. Well, Bathurst has always been the point where rumours come to reality. 
it's where you can start finding out what's actually happening for the next year. Um, a lot of a lot of teams kind of wait till Bathurst to finalise their a lot of their stuff. So it's 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 the start of the real stuff, so to speak. Yeah, but it's always been crunch time, hasn't it? Like everybody says, oh, wait till after Bathurst and I'll tell you what I'm doing. Wait till after Bathurst. Of course, this year Bathurst the last round, so it's even more critical. So, <laughs> you know, now we know. From here on in, like from, from Sunday at 6 p.m. onwards, that's all that's got life is where, where's who's going where and what's doing what. So, yeah, good time. Absolutely. And I know, yes, you're talking about Bathurst as well, the rumours swirl around, but they're still swirling around even though we can't get there. And uh, the first of the new stuff is Blanchard. Uh, the rumour is that uh, Tim Blanchard, who controls one of the BJR licences, is thinking about, about going out on his own and using Tickford to get his cars and he's going to have Will Davison as his driver. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, I mean, Blanchard's been a bit of a, a journeyman in terms of licences and where they sit, but obviously running it out of the Brad Jones racing camp at the moment um, with Macaulay Jones as the driver. And uh, obviously Tim will be running with him at Bathurst this week as well. So um, that kind of ties that up a little bit. But then he's obviously thinking, oh, uh, yeah, I'm going to get a bit more serious about this. I want to build my own team. So a bit like Phil Monday did with the uh, with the Tickford camp. You know, I think he's planning to, to go out there and, and try to build something a little more out of it and build his own race team. So probably be um, like a fifth Tickford Mustang, not a fourth one, but the fifth one. Um, and they'll just take all the components, ship them off to their little workshop and put it all together from there. Um, and the rumours are that he's targeting Will Davison, but um, isn't everybody targeting Will Davison if you had a spare seat? <laughs> Well, this is and all the things, all these rumors are interconnected. First of all, Will Davison talking about Will, he's also been slated as maybe the driver to go to DJR when um, Scott McLaughlin isn't there. And also, Fabian Coulthard, it's not looking good for him because the talk of Anton Di Pasquale is going to go there. Yeah, well, the Anton talk started very early this year when it was um, there were indications that Scotty McLaughlin was looking to leave the series and go IndyCar anyway. So um, Anton's been the, the prime figure in that discussion all the way along. But obviously with Will losing his drive at Phil Monday and uh, the prospect of possibly replacing two drivers, because Fabian, in all honesty, just hasn't done enough to hold that slot down. And if you've got to change drivers over because you no longer have Scott McLaughlin, your question is, can Fabian Coulthard step up and dominate the race weekend the way McLaughlin has? And he's not going to do that. I can't. I haven't seen anything to tell me that that is what's going to happen. So they need a front line. They need a, they need a big name in there. And that's, um, that's where Will Davison's popped up. The other part of the rumour... Um, it's all linked in together is Phil Monday is selling uh, his wreck to BJR and that means that uh, that's that's well that's basically the license that uh, Courtney's driving under with Boost Mobile what's going to happen with Courtney and Boost? Oh, well, there are two um, licenses sitting in um, supercars for them to activate at any point in time. So it's not like there's a shortage, but um, you would have to bring in another player to do it. So, you know, you might end up with 25 cars on the grid if that was the case, which would be interesting in itself. Um, but otherwise, there'd be plenty of other ones to fiddle around with. I mean, you just got to got to go out there with your checkbook, I think, and, and find what's available. So yeah, it could be done. I thought times were tough. There's more cars it looks like they're going to the grid than ever before. Yeah, there's a lot of excitement about supercars in general. I mean, um, it's not like the heyday when we had to have pre-qualifying there were so many cars, but, you know, it's fairly solid at the moment. Um, 
this year has caused a bit of pain, I think, with sponsorship and that sort of stuff. But there's still enough people around with personal wealth who want to get involved in the sport. So you take the Blanchards, you know, they've clearly got money. So, you know, they invest in a car racing team in the same way that Jonathan Webb's family did with Techno. You know, so there's people like that floating around doing things. So you think, well, you know, what's the possibility out of it all? There are licences sitting around, um, so it doesn't mean that Adderton and James Courtney are going to disappear from the scene. They'll just go out and buy one of the ones off supercars. Well, that's, that could be interesting. Another bit of gossip swirling around is that when Scott, or if Scott, goes full-time with uh, Penske Racing, that Penske are also going to take Lula Lacroix with them over to the States. Um, that's going to leave a serious hole in Team DJR. Um, it's, it's not going to be the same team if Ludo goes. No, well, the whole Penske stuff's interesting because, you know, Penske's announced that they're, they're revisiting what they're doing in Australia. So they could pull out of DJR Team Penske altogether and just leave it back to DJR. Now, of course, they've got their funding structures in place now. So what Penske brought to the table was, a, was enough impetus to, to get Shell on board and lock them down as a major sponsor with major dollars. So I don't think in the short term it would affect the team too massively to not have Penske involved. But if Penske does take Ludo with him, then that does have an impact. I mean, Ludo is very, very clever at this game. As you can witness, wherever he's gone, they've, they've improved and they've won championships. So whether it was Triple Eight who first brought him into the country um, or the DJR team that took him from uh, from Triple Eight. Personally, I would have thought he was relatively settled here um, and that he's probably happy, but everybody wants a new challenge at times, don't they? So, you know, I, I can see it's a possibility, um, but it all hinges on what Penske decides to do. So I don't think Penske would strip the team of one of its prime assets if he was staying involved. Absolutely. Well, watch this space. We'll find out. We'll find out if Ludo goes across to the States with uh, Scott. That could be a bit of a, a flare, so to speak. Yeah, well, but you would have to go and learn something totally new. And that's the thing. So if you're going to drop Ludo into engineer a, um, an Indy car, like that's a completely new process. So you wouldn't expect it to just to drop in and be as successful as successful as he is here. Um, there's a learning phase into it. So he would probably be a bit of a backroom boy and, um, and climb a tree somewhere there. Time will tell. Yep. Still on news, uh, super cheap backing for LeBrock is uh, it's, it's a bit up in the air. Yeah, it's a bit shaky. I mean, super cheap, we know, um, spat the dummy when they lost the Bathurst race. Um, you know, talking about how they were outbid by the Repco. So they're a bit bit miffed by it all. I think they're completely reviewing what they're doing inside supercars, and that puts a serious threat to the super cheap sponsorship on the uh, Jack LeBrock car. I think they get a pretty good return for their investment. Well, Repco could just – there was rumours that Repco might sponsor a team. Repco could just slot straight in there if super cheap go anyway. I mean, I, look, I'm, I'm not surprised that super cheap feel that way. They feel, they've kind of been ambushed a little bit. Maybe not ambushed, but they obviously didn't have the funding like Repco and the other guys weren't prepared to put the funding in like Repco was. So it was basically the highest bit of wins. Yeah, it is one of the reasons why a lot of smaller Australian companies go for that multinational ownership um, because it does give them some market power and some power that they didn't have before. Repco clearly, clearly are chasing the retail market or they wouldn't be doing what they're doing with Bathurst and the series next year. So, you know, they're changing their focus. Well, we, maybe we should get the Repco guy on there to have a chat and ask him these questions. Probably the best way yeah. to go. Um, moving on. This is the final outing for the Holden fans, um, and they're, they're pretty emotional about it. 
Oh, the tears are flowing, aren't they? You know, <laughs> I watched that video by Scafi and it was like all emotional about it and said everybody's got a bit of holding in their heart, you know, so we're really pulling at the heartstrings. Uh, and I mean, it is sad, obviously, that, that Holden's disappearing. I mean, you know, they're not involved in Australia anymore and they're gone totally as a brand. So this is the last time we will see the red, see the red line up there as an official car manufacturer or as an official brand involved in the sport. So, yeah, sad. Um, they've got more than half of the wins up there over history. So, um, you know, the most significant brand as well. Um, and I'm sure that if we had a huge crowd up there, let's assume that we could have had a full crowd up there. Um, you can imagine what the emotional outpouring would be like, especially for Ford One. It'd, it'd be like the Nissans winning again. There'd be beer bottles thrown at them, all sorts of things. <laughs> Just to, to clarify... Does it look like we're going to have Holden badging next year or is that just up to the teams to decide if they want to run it or not? That'll be up to the teams if they decide to run it. Um, you know, I don't know why you um, – like Holden's part supply, which I think they're changing the name of to General Motors. You know, there might be a bit of General Motors sponsorship and branding up there, but people run the Holden badge. They're running it because they um, they feel an emotional attachment to it as well. So I can't see, for instance, Red Bull Racing Holden, Red Bull Racing, Red Bull Holden Racing Team. Got to get that right. It's a bit of a tongue twister at times, but I can't see them running Holden badges, for instance, like their Holden sponsorship finishes. Um, so it's no longer the Holden Racing Team. It's just Red Bull Racing. Um, so they won't run the badges next year. So they won't have Holden sponsorship at all next year in some guys, as you're saying, GM or whatever. Uh, they may have a small part to play, but it's not going to be what it is now. Um, I know they negotiated an out on it, so um, that'll be kept secret, obviously. Roland Dane's good at secrets, um, so that'll stay a very guard, closely guarded one. Well, that's probably the end of the news. There's probably heaps more rumours flying around. We can't cover them all. We're here all day, I suppose. I'd like to get into the driver and team combinations, especially the driver combinations. Um, how are we doing this, Clarky? Well, we're walking out of the media centre door and we're starting at the bottom end of pit lane and we're walking up to the top end of pit lane. So we'll walk past all the booms and tell you who's where and uh, and give you a bit of an insight, hopefully, as to what we think could happen well, with the guys. Starting off, and the only reason we're starting off with Gary Rogers Motorsport is because he hasn't competed in any races this year, so kind of the bottom. And his two drivers, Tyler Everingham, and it was going to be Nathan Hearn, but he's been replaced by Jason Ojeda. It's an interesting one, this. So it's a wild card entry. Um, so a single car, and they're going to have their own boom. So they don't have to share their boom with anyone, which is interesting. How good is that? Um, and they'll, yeah, it's good, isn't it? Like, imagine that. Single car team, own boom. Excellent. <laughs> um, so no no restrictions at all. But clearly, you know, it's um, it's very much a fledgling operation in a sense. Although, you know, Gary Rogers has got a heap of heap of expertise you know i'm sure richard holway and all those sort of guys will be out there running the car um but as you say it hasn't run all year so you can't expect too much from this thing and and i think it's really just an outing for these two young guys to have a crack at the race and and gary's clearly opened up the doors for it to happen so tyler everingham you know 19 year old driver runs in the super two series um this is his bathurst debut um and last year he was mike cable young gun award winner um, which is interesting. So it's a pretty storied history, that award, with the people who've won it. So it's got people like Scott McLaughlin and Marcus Ambrose as previous winners. So it tells you that there's a bit of a future for this young guy. And, of course, his co-driver in this one is Jaden Ojeda, so 21-year-old, so two years older, but also in the Super 2 series. Um, and he's sitting fourth in that series at the moment. And uh, because he's been doing that, he had none of the super licence issues that Nathan Hearn had. 
So two young guys, both on Bathurst debut. You know, I think they'll be happy just to get through the race and finish it. Oh, well, okay. Our next team, let's Team Sydney, let's start with Alex Davison. Um, he's going to be partnered by Jonathan Webb. What do you think of this combination? Well, driver-wise, I think it's a great combination. The team itself, though, I think is still struggling to come to grips with these new Commodores or the Commodores in general. So um, we know they're talking about a big ramp up over summer to get them onto speed, but, you know, they're going to struggle a little bit for outright pace. And, you know, with any sort of luck, they're looking at maybe a top 15, maybe a top 10 finish if, if the day goes really well. Um, but if we take Alex, I mean, Alex is one of the most experienced drivers in the field. Um, he debuted at Bathurst in 20, 2004, so he's got 15 race starts, but never stood on the podium. So only ever got to fourth as his best finish. Whereas his co-driver, John O'Webb, he's, of course, a race winner you know, with Will Davison and, uh, in 2006. And uh, he's done a handful of races up there and a few things, but decided he's better running the team than running the team on a day-to-day basis. So um, hence Alex Davison is his main driver there in the local legends. So John, John O'Webb's a Bathurst race winner. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, not just Bathurst, a race winner, Bathurst race. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, no, the real the real race. He actually knows what it's like to win. Yeah, and he's a really good co-driver because he's very consistent and solid. He doesn't do stupid things. Like, you know, he doesn't do anything that, that puts the whole race at risk. He just does his job, drives to a time and does the thing. So I think he's a very good co-driver for a bloke who really only does two or three races a year. Yep, in this well, case, he's only going to do one race. <laughs> that brings us to Alex's uh, teammate, Chris Pither, and his co-driver is Steve Owen. Um, interesting enough, Chris Pither, has, uh, his best finish is fourth also at Bathurst. Yeah, he's um, a very underrated driver, Chris. He's um, he never had the easiest of runs, so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that he's not filthy rich because he can't afford to buy the right seats, so he gets there on talent alone. So really good driver. I mean, his debut was 2007, so he's had a fair few cracks at it now. But, yeah, that fourth place is his best finish uh, in 2017. Steve Owen, of course, is, seems like he's been around forever. I mean, 1999 was his first race up there, and uh, Back then, everybody thought, you know, the, he was good enough to be a main game contender. Never really had the luck to get into the into the right team at the right time. And he's got two second-place finishes up there, so he's been on the podium a couple of times and, uh, you know, quite good. But these drivers who only do the, the endurance races, they get scratchier every year. So each year they come back, they're a little scratchier than they were the last year. So, you know, the, I think time's coming for Steve soon. Um, but, you know, this is not a bad outing for him in the Coca-Cola Commodore. Okay, next team 18 and the Irwin Tools Commodore with Mark Winterbottom and his co-driver is James Golding. Now, Mark's a Bathurst champion, um, won it back in 2013. James Golding, he's had four Bathurst starts and his best finish was in eighth. Yeah, I quite like this pairing. I think James is a really good young driver coming through. I mean, we know that he ran um, with Gary Rogers Motorsport, did a year of the full main game, and then, of course, everything shut down and then there were all the issues around sponsorships and all the sort of stuff that's needed to keep teams running. As I say, I think he's a good young driver. Um, Frosty, of course, massively experienced with that race win and he's got a championship win as well. This is his second outing up there in Holden, which is even more interesting, so second to last. Out again, a Holden, we could probably say, because no matter what happens next year, it won't be a Holden. <laughs> um, so yeah, got quite a good combination. It's a got, it's got a bit of a dark horse capacity to it, I think, which is interesting. Yeah, well, his teammate in the Dewalt Commodore, Scott Pye, he's well, he's had eight starts 
since 2012. Two second place finishes. His teammate is Dean Fiore, who's this will be his 11th start. His best was yeah. sixth in a Nissan. Fiore's been around a little bit. I mean, he ran his own team, obviously, for a while. He was called Triple F. Um, but, yeah, never really got on top of that. And I think running his own team and not having the right resources, I think that actually killed his career a little bit, that uh, he never got to show whether he had the ability as a race driver because he was still trying to, to make it all operate in the background. Um, but he's a good driver again, you know, consistent, solid, doesn't make silly mistakes. But Scott Pye, to me, is one of the guys who's been a bit of a revelation this year. I like what he's done. You know, if he can get some qualifying speed in the sprint races, he'd be great. But it's not so critical at Bathurst to qualify in the top six, eight, whatever. You know, you want to have speed and you want to have race speed, but qualifying speed is not necessarily going to dictate who wins the race, um, even though the stats tell us that, you know, you need to be qualifying well to be in the best shot, but it doesn't mean you're out of it. So I quite like, again, it's a bit like the Frosty and James Golding car. You know, we just don't know what's going to happen on race day. And uh, I, I think they've, they've got that dark horse capacity as well. Well, talking about dark horses, and I'm moving on to Matt Stone Racing with the, the number 34 unit Commodore, uh, Zane Goddard and Jake Kostecki. Now, this is, uh, this is pretty obvious considering they both shared driving duties throughout the season that they'd be both uh, partnering each other. This is a bit of a dark horse because when you talk about experience and the latest experience, I mean, both of these guys, you could say they're kind of up to speed with the way the cars are this year. Yeah, it's an interesting combination, isn't it, with how um, Matt Stone um, blended two young drivers in the car. So they've done half of the races each. Um, my question was always who was going to be rated driver A and driver B. <laughs> um, but driver A is is actually Zane Goddard. I don't know whether they did that by tossing a coin or paper, rock, scissors or however they did that. But you know, he's got that nod. This is his um, debut at Bathurst, so uh, he never run there before. Um, so he's only got those outings this year to to go by. Jake Kostecki obviously did um, run last year's race, um, but only just after gassing himself on the warm-up lap. And, yes. you know, had enough, had enough common sense or enough nous about him when he was, you know, collapsing in the car effectively to pull over and, um, and get out of the way, and, uh, you know, which probably saved his life as well but uh, you know, and saved the race. So he's done that one race because he did recover from the gassing, which was all related to his cool suit um, and had a leak and was pumping gas into his helmet. Jesus. The two of them have done quite well this year, I think. Uh, you know, you look at the driver ratings we've given them, you know, they, haven't, they haven't blown the world away, but they're just in that process of learning. So, you know, they'll be a very steady combination on race day. Uh, I don't see any dramas popping up from their own stupidity or anything. So, you know, they'll do quite well, I think, and you know, maybe knocking towards the end of the top ten. Well, his teammate, Gary Jacobs in the yellow cover Commodore, um, his teammate is David Russell. And David Russell's been been floating around for a little while, on and off. How do you think these guys are going to go? It kind of feels like the Paul Marinelli car, doesn't it? He's oh, always been speaking, spruiking up both of these guys. Yeah, I think they're, uh, they'll do okay. They'll be similar, I think, to the other Matt Stone car. You know, it's a, it's a learning team. It's a young team that's learning how to go racing. Yeah, Gary's got only the four starts, whereas you know Dave Russell's been popping around since 2003. Um, but he did miss most of the noughties. He only really did the 2003 race back then. And then he's re- run all of the last decade. So he's got the 11 starts so far. Um, his best finish is only an eighth, which was 2014, you know, which um, you sort of sit there and you think, well, how can you climb a little bit higher? So it, it's hard to see it going much better than that sort of rating, especially given Gary Jacobson's best. He's also an eighth. 
um, but that was when he was with Jason Bright. Well, this brings us to Kelly Racing and the Ned Whiskey Mustang, Andre Heimgartner and Dylan O'Keefe. Uh, what's your take on this combination? Oh, it's, it's one of the big unknowns, isn't it? I mean, we've seen some really good pace from the Cali cars this year, and then we've seen some awful lack of pace from the Cali cars this year. So hopefully they've got the new lightweight engines in, um, which they think will be good on tyre wear up there. It'll probably save them fuel as well. But if they get the balance right, it's going to be really nice for them to not have that heavy nose in the car. So it should be good across the top as well. But we know Bathurst is all about straight line speed. You know, you've got to get up and down the mountain quick. Um, so getting across the mountain doesn't matter at race. It only matters for qualifying. So I think they seem to have had enough speed in straight line for most of the year. So they're going to get better. And as I say, it's one of the great unknowns. We just have no idea what two Kelly Mustangs are going to appear. Andre, of course, you know, young guy, got a pole position this year, 25, just making his mark. He's really just starting to, to etch a place in the series. And, you know, at times he looked really good in the sprint races. Yeah, I think I think he looked great. I think he stepped up this year. Absolutely, I, you know, and I always thought he had that that ability too. So I remember talking to uh, one of the team owners about him a few years ago. Um, I'd like to think it was my endorsement that got him the drive. <laughs> I said that he, you know, I said he's worth a crack. He's got some talent. Um, he's very polished, of course, off the track as well. You look, watch him talk and do everything. You know, he's got everything it requires to get to the top level. You've just got to get the right um, doors to open. Kelly Racing could do that with this car combination. I think you know switching to the Mustang from the Nissan has revitalised them, and they've they've got a really good show. So, but if we go to his co-driver Dylan O'Keefe, first run up there, you know he's building a body of experience, but he's a young guy, you know um, TCR driver, and he's um, he did Surface Paradise of course last year when um, Gary cracked the shits with Richie Stanaway. Um, he dropped Dylan O'Keefe into that. But he's also done a couple of rounds in the World Touring Car Cup this year as well. So good young steerer. Bathurst first time around, he's just going to want to be steady and not muck up. Well, his race fit, his experience is a little lacking. That's probably it. Yeah, he will be race fit, which is good because a lot of the co-drivers aren't going to be race fit. A lot of the co-drivers haven't done much work this year. So um, he has done that and he's been flying around the world to do it. Well, I'll keep an eye, an eye on Andre and Dylan. Uh, next in the team, Rick Kelly and Dale Wood. Uh, well, Rick Kelly doesn't need any uh, introduction, and neither does Dale Wood. He's been around for uh, for a while. How do you reckon these guys are going to go? Well, I reckon they're tied into the same issues as the other car. You know, we just don't know what it's going to be like until we see it on Thursday morning. You know, we're hoping that it comes out of the box and it's a rocket. Yeah, that it's got all the bits required because if it's not, it's going to be a very painful weekend for them. If they're going to endure like they did at Darwin, um, they're not going to be happy boys at all. So, yeah, really hoping that it comes out. Um, but if we look at Rick's career, I mean, it's a stellar career, isn't it? He's got the two Bathurst wins that he did with Greg Murphy um, many, many years ago. And he's also got a second place up there as well. Um, and he's a supercar champion. So he won the 2006 series. Dale Wood. Uh, back for his second crack with Rick, so they obviously feel the combination works yeah. quite well. He's got 10 other starts in the race, and his best was a fourth place that he did with Chris Pither in 2017. So, you know, he's not a bad steerer. Um, again, a good, solid co-driver. Rick, of course, you know, on his day as a superstar, but it all does rely on what the cars are like. And, you know, they're taking a few risks this year. Um, my biggest concern is the new lightweight engines. How solid are they? They've got a lot of work to do up there. 
Okay. Well, we get into Brad Jones Racing. There's Team 1 and there's Team 2. We'll start with Brad Jones Racing Team 2, the Cool Drive Commodore with Macaulay Jones and Tim Blanchard. Uh, what is your take on this combination? Yeah, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Um, it's the first of the pit booms for Brad Jones Racing. So as we said, we're walking up. Um, Macaulay started five races up there and his best play- finish is seventh. Um, but at times this year, he's looked okay, I reckon. He's, he's looked like he's got enough to to hold his place and maybe keep on growing a little bit. Tim Blanchard, you know, debuted in 2019, 2011 up there um, for nine starts. <clears throat> you know, he's got a 19th is his best finish in 2016 with Macaulay Jones. So he hasn't had much luck up there. So it's really, really um, played by ear with these guys. Again, I think it's really just a growth experience for Macaulay. Um, and I think that's maybe one of the reasons why the Blanchards are thinking it's time to move on, that, you know, they're overgrowth and they um, they want to be solid. Yeah, well, his teammate and uh, the SCT Commodore, Jack Smith, he's paired up with uh, Jack Perkins, the two Jacks. Yeah, well, it's yeah, two, two Jacks, one Jack with not much experience, one Jack with plenty. Um, so the Jack with, no, with very little experience, I mean, he's only had the one outing at Bathurst, which was a DNF last year. Um, he's run this year's series, and at times he's looked looked like he's okay, and other times he looked all at sea. So it's pretty much what we expect from a rookie season for a young driver. Jack Perkins, yeah, one of the most likable blokes in the field. You know, some people didn't like his dad so much, but I really liked his dad. I think he was a great personality, and I uh, you know, loved spending time and talking to Larry. So, and Jack, of course, you know, when he won that race on the Gold Coast a couple of years back, it was one of the best stories of the year, I think. Um, but obviously the most notable thing is his first race ever at Bathurst. He started the race and he's the bloke who happened to clean up the ailing Mark Scaife in 20, 2006. Oh, he um, was so. limping up. He was limping, limping up Mountain Straight anyway. Scaife was gone oh, anyway. Absolutely. And Scaife says that. He says I, I, he just feels for him. You know, he just feels for Jack Perkins that that's your debut, that – you know, because when you when you see the cars dicing, you know, you don't have any vision. And, you know, Jack's got a good run and he's just pulled out and bang, there's Scafey, nailed him. And the funny thing is that for years, for years, my son used to say, oh, bloody Jack Perkins. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I think he's, a, he's had quite a good career as a co-driver. Um, and as I say, he's a good bloke and uh, just not sure they're going to have any speed. I'll keep going through the list, but I just wanted to add a note that all drivers are sourced from Australia. There's no internationals this year because of the old, the new, the old, the new COVID world order. Um, yeah. There's no internationals. If we, if we rate New Zealand as the seventh state of Australia. Well, kind <laughs> of, yeah, okay. The, the bubble, they just had to source all their drivers yeah. locally and that's this is Absolutely. what we're dealing with. This is what I think is really interesting. And it gives a chance for a, a few of these drivers in Australia that wouldn't normally get a drive at Bathurst, they've got to drive. Yeah, well, it certainly worked well for one Will Davison, didn't it, when Alex Premer couldn't make it out here? But Absolutely. That's a bit further up the pit lane. <laughs> well, we're all, there's lots of stories. So continuing on with Brad Jones Racing One Outfit, and that's the R and J Batteries with Nick Perkat. His teammate is Thomas Randall. Give us a bit of a give us a bit of an insight into Thomas. He likes to talk. <laughs> <laughs> he's very vocal. He's a he's a he's a very lively young lad, and um, yeah, so he's the 2018 Mike Cable winner, Young Gun winner. So um, two years ago, he was rated the rising star of the sport. Effectively, last year, I thought um, with with Lee Holdsworth was in a sensational position on on his rookie race to actually win the thing. 
Um, so when that when Fabian Coulthard held the feel up, I think it was Lee Holdsworth was the one who suffered the most. He would have come out of pits in the lead of the race if um, if Coulthard hadn't done that. So um, he could have been a rookie winner like Nick Percat, which is his co-driver or his teammate, which is interesting because Nick, of course, co-drove with um, Garth Tander on debut and won the race, um, which is a, a pretty significant achievement and uh, taking a little while to live that one down, I think. Um, but he does have two other podiums in the race. And, of course, he's in great form this year. Um, they're driving well. We know the Jones team is very smart with its decision-making. So this race, and surprisingly, they've never won it because they are – Serious contenders every year we go up there. Absolutely. And I think Nick is in his best form ever. And I think he's more form to come out of Nick, to be honest. But uh, he's he's also a race winner. He knows how to uh, win this race or he knows what it's like to win this race. And sometimes that's a big hurdle. So I'm going to keep an eye on this team. Yeah, I think they're. um, if you were a betting person, they'd have pretty good odds and I reckon they'd be worth some money. Okay. He's a team – well – not teammate, but sister car, the TRG Transport Commodore, Todd Hazelwood and Jordan Boys. Give me a bit of a rundown about Jordan. Well, first of all, though, we're assuming it's going to be called the TRG Transport Commodore because it's changed the name so many times. <laughs> True. This year. So it could be the Brute, it could be the whatever it was, it could be the anything. So let's just call it the Brad Jones Racing Commodore for the moment for Todd Hazelwood. Um, Jordan Boys, young kid. Um, he's a Bathurst debut. Well, I say young kid, he's 22. Um, he's a Dunlop Super 2 racer, and he finished seventh in that championship last year. So, you know, they're giving him a bit of a chance. Um, he's from Albury, um, so that's the connection to Brad Jones Racing. Um, Todd Hazelwood, we know, you know, pole position winner this year, and um, what a great moment in the series that was. You know, the, the, the excitement from him getting that pole position was just um, amazing, I thought. Got amazing work ethic. Like he works so hard to get the money in to go motor racing, you know, whether it's washing cars at a local service station in Adelaide through to all of his social media activity and his work on LinkedIn, et cetera. Um, so he's put every effort he can into making this as successful as it can be. He's got the ability to do it as well. So he just needs to have a bit of patience and time. He's also um, uh, also a Mike Cable Young Gun uh, recipient. Yeah, he is. Uh, I think it was about four or five years ago there. So, um, you know, yeah, he's, he's on the radar. He has been on the radar for a while. I mean, last year he didn't show that much, but this year I think, you know, replacing Tim Slade at Brad Jones Racing has been really good. He's had the three starts at Bathurst, the uh, best finish of 12th. I think he'll do better than that this year. Okay. Well, Walkinshaw and Dreddy United, Mobile One Midi's Commodore, Bryce Fullwood and Kurt Kostecki. And this is the Kostecki name is popping up everywhere at the moment in supercars. This is Bryce's first year into the main game. He's had two starts, but his best's only been a 20th. I know, you got a 20th and a DNF, so hasn't been showered in glory yet. But, you know, this year, of course, first series in the main game, first season in the main game, so it's a growth year for him. We've seen some really good signs at times, and then we've seen some ordinary signs. So we can't sit there and expect that he's going to be like his teammate, Chas Mostert. Um, he's a learning, he's a case case study going on. The Kostekis are interesting. I mean, this is the brother of Jake and the cousin of Brody. Um, they all ran together in the Super 2 series for a while. Uh, but this is Kurt's debut at Bathurst, which is um, which will be interesting. So he's the third of the Kostekis to hit the grid up there. Cool. Um, I, I would expect the this car will very much be the second car in the team. So pit lane strategy for the boom will always rest with the other car. 
Um, so, well, so long as the other car doesn't break down or have problems. So, you know, I would think that they'll be treated very much as a second car and that will cost them a little bit on race day. Well, I'll be interested to see how these goes because it's a, it's a learning phase for, for that car or that team. Absolutely. You know, and you can't place too high expectations on it. All you want them to do is finish the race, not do anything stupid and have enough speed to, to be in a contention for maybe a top five. You know, the car's fast enough to make a top five but, you know, probably more likely around the bottom half of the top 10. Okay. Next is the Mobile One Appliances Online Commodore with Chaz Mostert, race winner in 2014, had the big shunt in 2015, but doesn't seem to have slowed him down at all. And uh, he's paired up with Warren Luff, who's just uh, <laughs> just a heap of experience. <laughs> He just collects podiums for the sake of it, doesn't he? You know, five podiums from the last eight starts at Bathurst. So um, a pretty impressive, imposing record for a um, for a co-driver. Um, again, a really good bloke, um, but this year is probably his best chance in a while to take that last step and, and stand in the middle of the podium. Um, I think this is a really good combination. The car's shown terrific speed all year at the hands of Chaz. It's been a little inconsistent in the races, um, but Bathurst isn't going to pose the same problems to them that, um, say, the Ben did, for instance, where they, they seemed to struggle in the race but had uh, one lap speed. Chaz, of course, we know he's one of the fastest guys in the field, one of the most entertaining blokes as well, so it'd be great to see him right up there on race day. I've got these guys as that next level down. I think, you know, there's to me there's four logical contenders. These guys sit in that next bracket at the top of it. Well, I'll be asking you logical contenders at the end of this, but uh, let's continue. Erebus is up next. Penwright Commodore, Davey Reynolds and Will Brown. This is an interesting combination. They could do some interesting things here. <laughs> they could, couldn't they? Couldn't do anything. So Dave Reynolds, you know, winner of the race a couple of years ago, two pole positions up there, fast, like a fast, fast driver. But what a shocking year he's had. So you've got to hope that he can walk up there and park the demons from the rest of the championship series and get his head into Bathurst mode straight away. I think I think he will because his Bathurst engineer hasn't been with him for most of the season while they've been travelling, is going to be there with him at Bathurst. I think you might see a different David Reynolds. Yeah, I hope so. And I think, yeah, they learned a lot last year when they, they really struggled you know, after he'd won the race in uh, a couple of years ago. So they really struggled in that year afterwards with all of the media appearances and all those things. And he just tied himself out and didn't sleep well. There's going to be none of that this year. There's no corporate to do. There's no media to do. There's no autograph sessions. It's just a pure racing weekend. And that will play right into Davey Reynolds' hands. So hopefully he gets a massive resurgence in form and, and we see him at his best because um, as you can see over my back shoulder is my Go Dave signed um banner from when he got pole position up the Bathurst so uh you know one of the greatest guys in the field so hopefully goes really well what's your take on Will Brown well great young driver I mean uh, he's great in the TCR Um, he won the championship last year and he was great when he did the series five the the open wheelers he was really good there as well so he's shown an adaptability um he did run at Bathurst for the last two years with Anton Di Pasquale and last year in particular it was like Look at this young gun pairing. Like, they were fast last year, the two of them. Didn't have enough luck last year, but, um, you know, it, it was just one of those days where you know, it's either going to fall your way or not fall your way. Um, so really good young driver and, um, you know, no doubt at all that um, if Anton moves on from that team next year, he's the bloke who'll be driving car 99. Mm, in the catbird seat, so they say. Okay, well, yeah. talking about uh, Anton, 
that's the next car, the 99 Penrite Commodore, Anton Di Pasquale, and he's paired up with Brody Kostecki. Yeah, another Kostecki. And this, uh, of course, Brody is the um, the sim racing gun. He's done a few NASCAR races over in the States at different levels. Um, yeah, so if you heard him on our Racing X podcast earlier in the year, we went through a bit of that with him. So really interesting guy. Great knowledge, great engineering understanding of the cars, which is what he's been involved with this year with the team. So he's been there all year with this team. Um, he did debut last year, but the, the car was a DNF at the end of it. So he's got that one start and that's it. Um, Anton, of course, this year has been his breakout year. He's um, he's really stepped up to the plate in the year where Davey's been struggling. Um, Anton stood up and took the mantle probably as the team leader at the moment, I would think. But his best is only 24th in this race. So, you know, he's got a lot of uh, a lot of running to go. I think the past two years, David Reynolds was the focus uh, at Erebus, but Anton's definitely come of age um, and they're on level parring, I would say, at the moment. I think with Brody, I would have to ask how race fit he is or isn't or whatever. I, I don't know. Has he been racing some other stuff throughout the year or not? No, just the sim. That's all you can do because... Um, he couldn't go back to the, the States to do his NASCAR stuff, so I'm pretty much stuck here. But I think he's he's done a few drives in the car and a few sessions here and there, I think, when they've you know, done things. So, yeah, but as I say, he's embedded in the team, so that helps. Um, but you're right, you know, that is where you sit there and you think, you know, ooh, you know that, that co-driver might be the weakness because it is your learning thing. So if you want to be a serious race contender, I think your co-driver needs to be able to lap fairly consistently maybe only at about a second off the pace that you're doing. Um, and I'm, I think the gap between the two of them might be a little bit bigger than that. Well, this is the, that's that's part of the key. You've got to start on that lead lap. Yep, and you want to be in that top handful. If you're outside that top handful, you're not going to be able to pass enough people. So, you know, it does require really good strategy in the pits. And, and, and that becomes my little bit of a concern about this team. I think at times the team comes across as being a bit chaotic and a bit fearful of making bold decisions or or snapping to the decisions quickly and we saw that in the um in the tv series they ran on foxtel you know so i think they're a bit hamstrung by some of that but you know they've won at bathurst before so there's no reason in the world why they can't win again we know the cars are quick enough we know the drivers on the whole are quick enough um you just need a bit of luck on race day this takes us on to tickford and we'll start off with the tickford 2 outfit the truck assist mustang (laughs) with lee holdsworth and michael caruso well, they're evenly matched on height, aren't they? Because, uh, <laughs> I was going to say that, but I didn't. You said it. You which said is always it? a talking – no, no, it's always a talking point, isn't it? But uh, they're both, they both have a laugh about it, although I think deep down they get upset with us all. But, um, yeah, Lee Lee last year, was, to me, it took a while for him to settle into the Tickford Mustang program, but by Bathurst last year he was showing some really good speed. Um, he was in the box seat to win that race when it, when the Coulthard thing happened. So um, he was easily the biggest loser, and he ended up um, – finishing eighth instead of first. So that was a really big cost to him. He debuted in 20, 2004, so he's been around for a long time and he's only had the one podium, um, which interestingly is the same podium that Michael Caruso has. So they had that one podium that they shared together at Gary Rogers Motorsport. Um, Caruso debuted in 20, 2009 and he's been back ever since. But, you know, another guy who's not too bad. Um, Lee, I think, on his day is really good. Been a bit inconsistent this year. And, and he, at times he looked troubled with the Tickford Mustang. But, you know, Bathurst, they know they had it working right last year. So maybe it'll work right this year as well. Well, in the same garage, uh, Boost Mobile Mustang, James Courtney and Brock Feeney. 
Yeah, well, Brock Feeney's the interesting one. 17-year-old on Bathurst debut. So there's a big gamble going on here, I can tell you. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, so he's a Series 3, uh, so, sorry, Super 3 Series winner in 2019, so last year, um, and he's been running the Tickford car in the Super 2 Series this year. So he's embedded in the Tickford system. James Courtney, yeah, we all know about him. He could have been a Formula 1 driver. He was a test driver for Jaguar F1, came back and was hot in demand, you know, came back to co-drive for um, HRT at Bathurst a um, couple of times, then got snapped up by Stone Brothers and embedded himself in the series from there. 2010 series winner, so he was the one who broke the um, the Triple Eight sequence or the Jamie Wincup sequence on winning the championship. <clears throat> and he's been coming back here since 2008, and he's got the four podiums, so he's really looking forward to stepping up. But my gut feel is that with a 17 year old on debut, you're going to need a lot of luck to win the race. Oh yeah, we'll we'll keep it. There's a lot of cars I'm keeping an eye on. Funny about that. Uh, that yeah. brings us to Tickford One. And the monster Mustang with Cam Waters and Will Davison. I would have to say this is one of my favourite combinations. And if I had a few spare bucks, we could bet on it. Can we bet on it? I'm not too sure. I might put a few down on this team. Absolute serious contenders for race wins. Um, And what a combination. I mean, Cam Waters just keeps getting better each year. Uh, Of course, he's got to stay away from Chaz on the track. (laughs) This could be Um, hard. This could be interesting. It's caused pain the last two Bathurst, the, uh, those things. But, you know, he's got the maturity in the race craft now to go all the way. Um, he debuted here in 2011 after winning the drive on a TV show. Interestingly, he debuted with Grant Denyer, who we're going to hear from a little bit later. Um, and he's had the eight starts for, for best place of fourth. His co-driver debuted in 2004, and he's had 16 starts for two race wins up there. So that's a pretty good co-driver to have. And a third. Especially given... Yeah, and a third as well. But given that he raced this the Tickford Mustang in the start of the year, so he's got two race weekends with it. He didn't, of course, race in Melbourne because they cancelled it. So he is the freshest of all the co-drivers with supercar experience. And more than anything, he's just hankering, hankering to show people he should be there again. So um, I reckon this is a cracking combination. I think they showed plenty of speed last year. They were quick down the mountain, so they were quick on Conrad Strait, which is where you're going to want their speed. Um, and anybody who, who's not got these in their in their race-winning potential uh, is really not watching what's going on. Okay. In the same garage is the super cheap auto Mustang, Jack LeBrock, um, and he's paired up with James Moffat, who's a bit of becoming a bit of a stalwart for Tickford. This is his third run with Tickford. Yeah, third run in a row. Um, so, yeah, he's um, he's there. Of course, we know the Moffat name. It's so entrenched in Bathurst folklore with his father, Alan Moffat. And Ford. Um, James, yeah, and James would dearly love to uh, to step up and, and repeat that, become another father-son like, you know, Stevie Richards and Jim Richards. Um, his best result is the second in the Nissan. As I remember that one, they just kind of snuck up on it and um, and pulled it out of the Norton 360 Nissan and got that second place. So good driver, very solid, very consistent. He's not going to do anything stupid, which is exactly what you want. Jack LeBrock, less experienced than James. Um, but, you know, and again, like Anton, it's been a bit of a breakout year. That race win at Sydney Motorsport Park was, was good, but almost winning it at the bend, yeah, where there weren't tyre things. He was actually there on speed and he was quicker and trying to pass Shane Van Gisbergen when, you know, the Giz did what the Giz does. I loved it. And um, wouldn't let him pass. It was great racing. <clears throat> so he's had, um, he's had the, um, the four races up there and his best is fourth place so far. You know, it's an evolving, an evolving act there and um, who knows what's possible. Well, next up is Triple Eight 
And the Red Bull Commodore, Jamie Wincup and Craig Lowndes. Pretty formidable well, combination. It is, isn't it? We're the serious end of pit lane now, aren't we? So any car we talk about now is a contender. Running triple eight, of course, because Craig's back in it. So um, they'll be running triple eight instead of Jamie's 88. But, I mean, have a look at the pedigree. So Jamie debuted in 2002. He's got four wins up there and three second places. Um, interestingly, his last podium finish is 2012. So it's been lean for a little while. But he's got those seven series wins. Um, and, and he's one of the greatest we've ever seen in our series. And because of that long lean spell up there, how hungry do you reckon he's going to be to cap off another win? His co-driver, of course, Craig Lowndes, uh, longest standing driver in the field, 94 was his debut, and he's got seven wins, which is the most wins by any driver who's only driven one car on the given day. Um, so while Brock's got the nine, Brock's only done it seven times in the one car. So he's up there um, with, with you know, as one of our immortals or our, um, our legends, if we want to say. Uh, of course, has the three back-to-back wins with Jamie early old middle of the um, 2006, 7 and 8 era. Next up, again, Red Bull Commodore, is Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Tander. Another strong combination. How race fit is Garth Tander? Well, he won't be race fit, but he'll be fit. So you've just got to get into it. But, you know, he's so experienced, I think he'll just, you know, slot in without any dramas. Um, if you had the same sort of year next year with no racing, I'd be starting to get worried. You know, I think you can you can afford two years like this, but you can't afford a third. So this could be, um, you know, his last crack, depending on what happens with next year. Um, he's, of course, got the three wins up there, and he's got a second and two third places as well. So debuted in 1998. So he's been around a while, almost as long as Craig. Um, so, you know, second most experienced guy in the field. Um, Shane Van Gisbergen's been there for a long time now. 20, 2007 was his debut. So 13 starts. He's only got two second places as his best effort. Um, and both of those were in the last couple of years. He'll be hankering to not be the only driver in that team without a Bathurst win. He'll be hungry. I think he'd be hungry for a win. And I hope they I hope they give him his head and let him go. So very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, and how good was he? How good was he last year? I mean, I know he was the one who complained the most about the um about the safety car so stuff with Coulthard. But I think he was one who benefited from it massively. He was in trouble if he if he couldn't um, – if he had to sit in pit lane and double stack behind Jamie Wincup, all of his advantage was gone. So I think he benefited more from it than than um, than he said at the time. But how good was he on the track? I mean, he was passing people in the cutting throughout the race. Um, you know, he's the best passer in the field. He's got the highest motor racing EQ. Um, he's got everything required to win this race. And it's strange when you sit there and say he's never actually won it. Oh, interesting. Okay. DJR Team Penske, the Shell V Power Mustang. First up is Fabian Coulthard, and he is partnered by Tony Delberto. Yeah, well, they've done that a few times together, haven't they? So um, it's the fifth time these two have paired up together there. So in terms of knowing each other, it's the uh, it's the most strongest combination in that sense. Tony's uh, debuted in 2005 uh, with Fabs, of course, and his best result is the third position up there. Fabian was obviously at the heart of the controversy last year, um, but he was only the driver doing as he was told. So anybody who wants to get stuck into him over that should... Um, park their angst and um, directed in other directions. He's had 17 starts and the one podium up there. Don't know. It's just one of those ones that just doesn't seem to have taken that last little step. He's the one that hasn't really nudged onto that next little bit. But, you know, when he was pulled up last year, it only worked because he was running third in the race at the time. You know, so if you're running third in the race, you've got a chance of winning the thing. So they are contenders, 
but they're not as strong as the other car. He always seems to be on the wrong side of the 1%. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? I mean, you know, we'll all remember that famous crash up there when he barrel rolled through the chase with the all the panels peering off the car and everything. So, yeah, he just... I don't know, he's just almost there. Whether he gets enough of a crack at it, I don't know, because Scott McLaughlin's just taken control of that team so so easily. But, you know, anything can happen. If Scott McLaughlin falls out of the race early or falls into trouble early, then all their eggs go into the Fabian Tony basket. We'll see. And that brings us to Scott McLaughlin in the Shell V-Power Mustang. Goes up there with the champion in the bag, so to speak. Um, and he's paired up with Tim Slade. There's a lot of pressure on Tim here. <laughs> there is, but not as much pressure if the championship was at stake, is it? So I think he was very relieved the championship was done and uh, that pressure's gone. Um, but, you know, you're dropping into a car that's got to be the favourite to win the race. So that does put pressure on you, no doubt at all. Um, Scott and Tim are good mates from from way back. So, uh, you know, Scotty's always been hankering for Tim to come and race with him. So he's got his wish this year. Slady debuted in 2009, best result as a seventh. Scott McLaughlin, we don't really need to say much more. You know, three championships in a row. He's got the Bathurst win. Um, he set the lap record last year, but it was taken off him because of an irregularity with the engine. So he's only got the one pole position to speak of. Um, but, you know, he's got a third place as well, so in eight starts. So clearly um, serious contenders. I mean, they're, 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 as you say, they're the champions at the moment, champions in the class, champions at Bathurst. Anybody who doesn't think they can win doesn't know the sport. Okay. I just wanted to go into a few stats before we get on with Grant's interview. Uh, pole position. Brock's had the most at six, but of all the current drivers this year, uh, Jamie Wincup's had two, same with Mark Winterbottom, Davey Reynolds, Craig Lowndes and Garth Tanner. They've all had two. With one pole, we've got Mostert, McLaughlin, Van Gisbergen, and Will Davison. And, of course, yeah, the interesting thing there is that only Wincup, Winterbottom, Reynolds, Mostert, McLaughlin, and Van Gisbergen can add that tally this year because you might start on pole position if you're Will Davison, but if Cam Waters has got the pole, you don't get it. So, um, yeah, Lowndes, Tander, Will Davison will be watching the qualifying, um, providing no one gets sick or anything like that. So maybe they'll be dropping some um, extra chilies into their um, into their driver's field food to see if they can get a bit of diarrhoea or something for Saturday. So, um, yeah, so interesting there. But, you know, Brock on six just stands out, doesn't he? It's a, it's where Brock kind of pulled it all out, isn't it? So, okay, let's go back to Jamie Wincup with Craig Lowndes. What if Craig Lowndes out-qualifies Jamie Wincup? Are they going to let Craig Lowndes go for pole position in the shootout? No, they're not. Okay. Fair enough. That's answered that. <laughs> Did you want to think about that? No. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Um, I think Craig's quite happy. Um, Craig, Craig never really liked qualifying all that much. He, he wasn't a good qualifier. Um, yeah, you look at his his race record compared to his pole record. I mean, it's just staggeringly different. So, yeah, I can't see any way, unless there's something wrong with Jamie, I can't see any way Craig or, or will be doing the qualifying there. And the same with Garth. Okay, well. Let's get on to wins. Brock's had nine wins, the most of anybody. Of the drivers for 2020 at Bathurst, Craig Lowndes has had seven, also the most podiums with 14. Uh, next is Jamie Wincup with four wins. Three wins is Garth Tander. Two wins is Rick Kelly and Will Davison. And with one win is Winterbottom, Mostert, McLaughlin, Jonathan Webb and Nick Perkat. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, Lowndes up there on seven. I mean, that's a staggering 
staggering achievement, isn't it? And done it all in the same car on the same day. So um, we spoke a little bit before, you know, Brock had the two ones where he jumped into somebody else's car to take the win. So one of the all-time greats, Lowndes, really itching. So at the moment he sits level with Jim Richards on the seven wins. He'd love to be on eight wins. Um, and obviously he'd love to get to nine as well to match Brock, who's his, you know, pretty much his childhood hero in a sense. Um, but, yeah, it's, um, it's probably the slimmest field we've had in a while of race winners, um, which is interesting. So we've only got the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about nine race winners up there. So um, interesting times. Well, there's been just a couple of other interesting stats. Twelve wins have been grabbed from pole, but close behind is 11 wins have been grabbed from second. Well, still front row, but second. So overall, 23 wins come from a front row start, that's about a third of all starts at Bathurst. Yeah, which is interesting. So we always think it's an endurance race and, you know, where you qualify doesn't matter so much, you know. Of course, you want to get through the opening laps of a race, so you don't want to be right down in the in the muck. But you think that anywhere in the top 10, you've probably got enough speed to win the race. Um, but it's funny how it's fallen that, you know, the fastest guy and the fastest two people on race day just happen to keep on winning. Uh, and that's just symptomatic of where it's at. You know, I think having a fast car up there that's easy to drive is what you need. So, you know, you'll detune a little bit from the shootout and, and make it a nicer to drive car. Um, so you'll see some funny things happening during practice. You know, you'll see them going out for blinding speed or you'll see them running long stops. They might run 10 laps on one set of tyres, then come in, make a few shocker changes, then they'll go out and do a practice qualifying run. So, uh, you know, where they're trying to see what the car will do over a distance and then how to tune it up for a single lap shootout. Okay. Crystal ball time, Clarky. You said you had four that you believe were a definite chance for a win. Can you reveal who they are? Well, it's not going to be any great surprise, can I tell you right now, to say that one of them is car number 17, which got McLaughlin and Tim Slade. Then I've got the um, the second car in my ranking. Or, oh, they're probably all fairly even, so we're not we're not a one, two, three, four here. But we've got the Van Gisbergen and Tanda Red Bull car. Then we've got the Lowndes and Wincup Red Bull car. And we've got Cam Waters and Will Davison. So for me, barring anything unforeseen, and we still know that the weather is tipped to rain on Sunday afternoon. I was going to ask you about that. Um, it's backed off a little bit. It's not as hostile as it was going to be, um, but there's more rain now on Saturday and slightly less chance of rain on Sunday. But they're saying rain early and then drying up with some spasmodic showers, which is what we want. We want those little ones to just drop in when you least expect it. Um, but they're, to me, they're the four contenders who've got enough speed and enough skill across the board. So their co-driver is good. Their main driver is good. Um, and they, they've got the ability and shown. Each one of those teams has shown it can win the race. Who's your dark horse? Pick, pick one. I know you've got a list of about 20 here. Pick one. <laughs> oh, my, my dark horse is Nick Perkett. I just think they've shown a lot this year and, um, you know, I think they've been really impressive uh, and I think they'll keep themselves in a, in a place to win the race. Um, Nick's obviously done it before but as a co-driver. So I think he'd be my first pick as a dark horse. But if you're saying what are your other two dark horses, I reckon those Team 18 cars are going to be sneaking around and um, and poking their nose at things all day. So the Scott Pye and Mark Winterbottom cars are going to be really good as well. Well, I'm keeping my eye on um, – oh, I'm keeping it on. Bloody everybody's seeing how some of these driver combinations – When you sit back and you do your analysis and you look at it and you think, well, you know, there's no brain surgery in saying that, you know, McLaughlin, Van Gisbergen, Wincup and 
Cam Waters are serious contenders. There's no brain surgery attached to that. But then your next level down, it's not much different. I mean, it's Davey Reynolds, it's Di Pasquale, it's Lee Holdsworth, James Courtney, you know, Percat Pie and Winterbottom. Like, there's nothing overly earth-shattering about that. But then you think, with a little bit of luck, like, who knows how the Kelly cars are going to be? And if the Kelly cars are good, then you can throw Andre Heimgartner and Rick Kelly into the picture as well. And then, of course, you can't write off Fabian Coulthard. So there you've got, you know you've got more than half the field who've got a really serious shot at this race. So while I've got my four people I think are the serious chances, I will not be surprised at all to see them not win, to see something else happen. And uh, and with the rain on race day, as I said, it's, you know, they're saying rain in the morning and then um, spasmodic showers in the afternoon. I want That's that. a recipe for chaos. I want that. It's a recipe for chaos. Absolutely. It's, um, it just will show you who's really right on top of their game. Clarkie, thanks for joining me. Um, coming up, we've got the interview with Grant Denyer and he tells us everything that's going on. It's a fabulous interview. Don't miss it. Thanks for joining me and um, go Bathurst. Okay, listeners, we've got a surprise online. We've got Grant Denyer joining us. Uh, how you going, Grant? Nev, it's such a bloody blessing to chat to you after all these years, my friend. We've been banging elbows in pit lane for decades. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hearing you're heading the uh, crew for the Channel 10 telecast this year. Yeah, give, us a bit of, give us a bit of a rundown. It's a really bloody exciting opportunity. You know my heart bleeds for the sport. Um, I, I've been doing it since, you know, I was pretty young. One of my first jobs in television was holding a microphone for the support categories in, in the paddock, and it was a, it's a long climb from the bottom to the middle from there. But it, <laughs> it, it, um, this sort of represents, you know, a, a real coming of age for me, you know, from standing in pit lane, you know, where I used to hang out with you guys and to now being front and centre and in the captain in command for the, for the National 10 telecast, which commands about oh, up to 3 million viewers. It's their highest rating day of the entire year. Mate, that's, um, I couldn't be happier. I'm really chuffed. I read your, uh, your post on Facebook and uh, first, well, my first thought was, did somebody else write it for him? Um, and then the <laughs> second part was that uh, it really tapped into the emotion of the place and what it means to so many people. And I, I think you captured it so well, uh, all the way from the tingles, um, you know, through to let the chaos begin. I, I thought it was a great little post. Thank you, mate. It was um, something that I, I wrote just after having uh, about four vodka lime and sodas. So <laughs> the, uh, the the juices were flowing. No, I, I, um, mate, I. You know, all I wanted to do when I was a kid was was be a race car driver and follow in the footsteps of my idols like Dick Johnson and, and Peter Brock. You know, then I had the opportunity of driving for Dick Johnson and doing three Bathurst 1000s. So now to, after all my years of experience in television, to be hosting, you know, what is the greatest race in the greatest country, you know, on the greatest track in the world, you know, I'm going to have to pinch myself. It's it's really cool. And, I, and the passion still is is right there under the surface for me. And I'm not joking when I say that place gives me chills and that race just stirs emotion inside of me that I'm almost too embarrassed to admit. But it, um, <laughs> to be there front and centre, it's going to be very special. It's, it does that for so many of us. I mean, you, the iconic thing driving over the hill, coming into Bathurst and seeing that Mount Panorama sign on the hill. And uh, even now, look, it just gave me a little chiver down my spine just thinking about it. But uh, <laughs> 
I know that I know that hill you're talking about, and oh my god, like it's I live in Bathurst, like, and this is this is how much you know I'm devoted to the to the event. I live right behind the circuit. Oh, do you? <laughs> so, I can I can see the back of the track from uh, from my kitchen. Um, cool. But that I, I remember driving over that hill and knowing that you were so close to Bathurst, and then you can see the the lights of the city illuminate and that, those white those white letters on top of the hill. When you when you first saw that, it was just like bang, it's on. I'm here. It's happening, and then the butterflies stir in your in your stomach, and then you and then you go, oh, "Am I going to see a driver? And which which autograph am I going to get?" You know, that was that was me. That was that was that was me as a kid. Yeah, well, you've left us jealous this year because um, we Melburnians aren't going to make it up there. So um, you know, we got to we got to sit back and watch you guys on the TV do it. It's a shame, um, isn't it? I saw I saw them putting the chairs out just this morning. I drove past the circuit, and uh, uh, they're they're lining all the chairs up on the hill on the, on Pitt Straight there uh, to sort of space them out. It looks it looks weird, and they're all uh, plastic chairs. So if we get one of those afternoon thunderstorms, <laughs> which is <you'll>... predicted, <laughs> it is predicted. <laughs> Done my long range weather forecast. It's there. It's gonna. <laughs> It's gonna look like a scene. Look like a scene from the Wizard of Oz. Like you're gonna be finding white plastic chairs in like orange and Lithgo and Tamworth. Yeah, it's not about hitting kangaroos. It's about hitting blokes on chairs. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. So uh, it is. A, it's a funny way. I mean, obviously, Channel Ten is um, is not covering the supercars next year or for however many years Channel Seven signed on for. So it's a funny way to sign off, isn't it? On the the weirdest Bathurst ever. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, it's a it's a bit of a sad day for ten. You know, ten as we know revived the sport dramatically. You know, back in the early two thousands, when the you know the sport was sort of on the fringes, it was being played late at night. Ten took it back in. You know, grew it from the ground up again and made it the great sport it is today. So to sort of hand those reins back over to seven again is you know it's it's sad for them because they have traditionally been the home of motorsport for so long. And tell us a little bit about the crew you've got up there because um, and how it works on the day. Well, we basically, 10 uh, takes, every time there's a V8 supercar on track, then we take what they call the world feed, which is Neil Crompton, Mark Scaife and their pit crew. Um, but any other time, and bearing in mind, you know, the broadcasts are 10 hours long uh, each day, uh, we do everything else around that. So we host our own show. We have our own guys. We do our own interviews. We've got our own packages. You know, we look back on the sport. We have our own highlights. We try and build our own hype. Uh, and then uh, we just take the, uh, the, the, the the supercar sessions. So it's we, we it's our own dressing. And the crew that you've got with you, who else do we um, see on the screen? Yeah, just assembled it now. So, you know, we've got Kate Peck as well. Uh, we've got uh, Michael Caruso. We've got Will Davison. Uh, we've got a lot of access to drivers more than we've traditionally had. Now, normally on a V8 supercar weekend, the boys are pretty busy. You know, between driving the cars, they get out, they engineer them. Uh, then they've got sponsorship commitments. They've got to go to corporate suites. They've got to do autograph signings. That'll all be that easy stuff, this year. That's all off. <laughs> So so Jamie Winkup will be wandering around bored as hell looking for something to do and someone to talk to. So it should be good. So we're going to lean on those guys a lot more than we ever have. So you've got your 10-foot boom pole sorted out for interviewing them because you can't get near them? Yeah, that's all a bit weird, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It's like... Yeah, it's all for illusion value, really, when you look at it, because there's still a bloke, there's an extra person now standing, you know, 
just two feet away. Where they, and they could have, could have been just two blokes doing it. Now there's three coughing and breathing on one another. Yeah, my let put it this way. My boom pole will probably be longer than most because my arms are <laughs> And have you got a special Channel 10 chicken flag face mask? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to figure out what I'm going to do with that if I have to wear one. So I, I know that there are, the government regulation is you don't have to wear it when you're presenting on television. Um, so we'll see how we go. With the Channel 10 stuff, is there, is there some new things you may have planned this year that you may be able to give us a bit of an insight? Well, this is um, it's it's look. We're still sort of building it last minute, and and to be honest, um, it was it, Matthew White has been been the head of the telecast for so long, and the voice of V eight supercars. And quite frankly, you know, I I did my apprenticeship under him, so I learned a lot from Matty, and and he's no longer with the Ten Network, so that only happened quite recently. So, which uh, Channel Ten uh, was taken over by somebody else? We were owned by uh, CBS. CBS merged with Viacom in America. So now we report to to to, to Viacom. Uh, there's been a, a number of staff and personnel changes at the network, and unfortunately, we, we're losing Maddie to radio. But and I'm I suppose probably the next ex- most experienced person, you know, in in the sport in the network, and someone's got to do it. So I put my hand mm-hmm. up. Makes sense. So we're still building the picture, but you know what it's like. There'll be a lot of looking back, a lot of those really deeply emotive, reflective pieces where, you know, that's sort of it just makes the hair stand on the back of your neck. And we've got a lot of footage to draw on too, remember, because 10 has been in the sport for so long. So our, our pieces are pretty rich with history and also very dramatic. So there'll be a lot of that. There'll be a lot of sort of sending the sport out with a really, really big, loving, warm hug. And I think the viewers are going to feel that as well because it's been at Ten's heart for a long time, that sport. Well, unfortunately for you, it's uh, too late to get uh, Nev and me involved because we can't get through our two weeks quarantine. So you, you kind of missed that boat. <laughs> how, how long since? You, you wouldn't have missed too many in your time. No, no, I've, um, I've missed three since 1985. Wow. Holy hell. Yeah. But he has never camped on top of the mountain. I've done that twice. And he hasn't even done it once. <laughs> well, you haven't lived then. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's, what he, that's what he keeps yeah. saying. I've you been up there. I swear I've been up there. <laughs> you haven't I... lived until you've dodged a flaming toilet roll. <laughs> <laughs> I re- I, there's so many great stories. I remember going up there and having been rescued by six special operations police officers. <laughs> as the crowd started to close in on me and I'm like, I'm just a little boy. Don't hurt me. And uh, oh yeah, they, they got me out of there and all their riot gear. I was, I was up there commentating on uh, the top 10 shootout and they put me down at the grate basically just to, just, just to say who's breaking and who's not breaking at the grate. So I, I was standing there and observing that, and uh, and then the crowd started. It was pretty pleasant at first. It was it was nice, and there was, it was respectful, and then it deteriorated very quickly. <laughs> well, the shootout goes for a while, so that's another few cans, isn't it? Yeah, it's about four p.m. in the afternoon. Everyone's mulled by then. Yes, um, I did venture I, up. I used, to, I used to have to do the color stories often in my early days in the telecast, and so. We always made a pact that the only time we'd ever feel, film a colour story at the top of the mountain was at about 8.30am in the morning before everyone's <laughs> woken up. <laughs> yes, I remember going up there one night um, in the early days when it was still a really wild place with a couple of promo girls. <laughs> I don't oh, know no. how I got out of there alive. 
Holy hell. Like Why would he do that? Because <laughs> he's nuts. It was for photo shoot. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was crazy. But, uh, yeah, really, really wild place. But, uh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's good to see the change over the years. Mm. And Like, I remember watching some YouTube footage uh, that I just found online of dudes on the on, a, on the illegal donut pad at the top of the mountain and um, a guy had a brand-new GDS Commodore, top of the range, high-end high price. He, go, he takes it onto the donut pad, he selects it, he puts it in first gear, he goes to take off and he stalls it, right, this brand-new car. He stalls it and within eight seconds, like this Molotov cocktail just comes through the back window. <laughs> Lands inside the car, car burns to the ground. <laughs> Got that, like, useless. <laughs> all I did was stall. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a bit like, uh, was it Jack Brabham who stalled? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, sure. Got mm-hmm. rear-ended. Now, let's uh, quickly, you're, I mean, we all know you from, from your TV stuff and, and, you know, obviously starting out doing doing the race. But you've also raced up there quite a few times as well. As you said, three of the... Um, Three one thousand. You've done two twenty four hours and eight twelve hour races. Must have been that class, many. Yeah, got a class win and a podium and a couple of other things. I mean, what's it like when you first do a fast lap up there? Uh, it's freaking terrifying. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> I wanted to swear badly there because it is. It's it's a scary joint and it's a hard place to tame. I remember when I was learning and I was racing in the Utes and I spoke to John Bow and John Bow goes, mate. I said, how do, you get, how do you master this place? And he goes, I've been here for 30 years and I'm still learning. And I was like, oh, what chance do I have? And, and, it's, and it's true. And that just rattled my confidence like you wouldn't believe. But it, know, is what but I, makes it, it is what makes it such a special place, isn't it? I mean, it's a, it's a complex racetrack. Um, it's got massive consequences if you, if you cock it up. But, you know, if you're brave enough and you've got it all, there's plenty of speed to be had as well and uh, you can make up on others. It just has sequences of corners that you don't find anywhere else in the country. So it's not a joint you can practice for or get a vibe from from another circuit. So it, it's just a law unto itself. And it feels like, you know, gravity works differently there and, 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 and forces don't, normal forces don't apply. It just, everything is outside the box. And, and you also... As a kid, watching countless amounts of VHS races over the years, sitting down watching them, I know where everyone has crashed and how they <laughs> crashed, how many times they crashed and how easily it can happen. So <laughs> you, you're so aware of it and no one wants to be that dickhead that does it. <laughs> so have you crashed up there? Uh, I have. I, um, I haven't had... Uh, I haven't had too many. No, I, the only time I crashed is when I was leading uh, the Super 2 race. It was the development series then, uh, the Dunlop series. I was <laughs> I was leading it in the wet. Oh, <laughs> and that's just, a hard lesson. <laughs> oh, leading it in the wet and then just tried to bra- accidentally break on the white line and then just went straight straight on into Griffin's bit, like, into turn two, just hit the wall hard. Uh, rookie error. Yeah. Yeah, it was can- a bit embarrassing. So quickly roll through a couple of your favourite memories from up there over the time. Well, I think first time going there as a kid, you know, we slept in the car, uh, like no accommodation, just three nights of sleeping in a Toyota Corolla 1986 twin cam. (laughs) (laughs) Like it was, 
but it was still probably the best experience, you know, of my life. You know, just that that sound of the cars just coming out of pit lane for the first time on a weekend as they're pulling gears going up the mountain straight. You just go, oh my god, it's it's happening, <laughs> and it's it's still it still stirs it in me now. Yeah, that that first time going there was is pretty impressionable, and then seeing all your heroes and and and, and getting an autograph off Brocky. Um, but I remember going around there. The first first car I ever drove around there was a, a race car was in the GTP production car race on the Saturday. It's like a three-hour. And it was a, a very sexy Mazda 626. <laughs> and uh, I remember coming down Conrad Strait, not only ever raced go-karts at that point, and uh, I, I, I basically got bogged in the sand trap at Caltech's chase in the first two practice sessions and did the same thing. <laughs> Because I'm just going, this thing should be pulling up by now. Surely not. Straight <laughs> along, straight in the sand trap, bogged to the axles. And then the and after the second time I bogged it, the team went down to the local toy shop and then came back with a uh, spade and bucket and said, next time you're going out, take this with you, please. <laughs> yeah. That was enough to teach you the lesson? <laughs> yeah. But after that, I found my feet and we finished second to – Greg Murphy and Stephen Richards that year in the in the production car race, and it was only a bumper in it. So it was a pretty cool way to debut around Mount Panorama. Uh, I got a pole in there in the Utes. I remember, I remember just going, you know what? I'm here. It's kind of like trophy or trees. You know what I mean? I'm I'm just going to throw it on the line. Took some big risks over the top. Came home. Got pole position. I remember crying in my helmet as I was <laughs> as I was driving back into the in, into into the paddock, just tears streaming down, just crying out loud. Go! I can't believe I've got pole in brothers, and I'm screaming. And then Paul Dumbrell runs up to me and goes, "Are you okay, mate? What's going on? Are you alright? Are you hurt?" <laughs> I said, "No, I'm just emotional. It's pole at Bathurst." So how how hard are the Utes to get round there? Well, when I was driving them, they were shit uh, because. <laughs> That's a good explanation. They, could, they couldn't. They didn't handle. They had terrible brakes. They were designed for entertainment only, not performance. So they would slide everywhere. Like I remember, I remember just going over the top over McPhillamy, just tipping it in, and then the rear comes round as you go over the hump, just going, "Oh, this is all bad." Uh, and I just, I just sort of stayed into it, and I thought it's either going to flick left or right. <laughs> either way, it's going to be catastrophic. Uh, but, but somehow, it just, I just made it round, and that's where I gained all the time that got me the pole position. But like, oh man, like it was, and you know how they, those early days Ute races were just violent. Like, that was, that's why I asked. <laughs> it was. There were just dudes just who were just carving you up left, right, and center. Back, like that's where I learned to hit people. Like you, where I got really good at hitting people, but still getting away with it. It was yeah, it's like learning to street fight. <laughs> now, was it um, was it talent or TV that got in the way of a serious crack at the race? Um, it's a good question. People often think TV came first, but motor racing came first. So I was racing cars and carts, you know, well before I got into television. And There's I, a family I, history as well, isn't there? So Yeah, yeah. But yeah, my dad sort of, you know, he worked in the industry and, and he was the original creator of the Ute concept and then the Ute racing concept. 
but we weren't a wealthy family and I wanted to be a racing car driver. And I thought, well, how, how do you become a racing car driver? Well, you know, you need to bring something to the table financially, you know, racing's expensive. And I thought, well, how do you get sponsors? Well, if I'm on television, that's probably a good way to find sponsors. <laughs> and it really, it was not much more than that. It was, that was the, the kind of the crux. I only got into television to try and offset the, the financials of motorsport. Um, and they, they just sort of both, I was really lucky. They both took off and I had both a good career in both. And then Dick Johnson pulled me aside when I was in, uh, I was in the development series of the Dunlop series and super two now. And I, I, I was on the podium for five rounds. I'd won four races in, in that season in 2009. And he's like, mate, you're good enough to step up to the main game. And he goes, but you can't, do both he goes you can't be a race car driver and a tv guy it's just not going to work and he was and he was right and to be honest my television was suffering because my focus was all on motorsport and my motorsport was suffering because I was the weatherman Monday to Friday in a different part of the country every single day just flying constantly rocking up not fit enough um enough talent but just not giving it the focus that it it deserved and needed. So Dick said, what are you going to do? And I, you know, it was the hardest decision of my life because the only thing I cared about was motorsport and the only thing I lived for was motorsport. But at that point I was hosting, you know, big television franchises like Australia's Got Talent and It Takes Two and I thought I'd be crazy to throw all this stuff away. This is a really lucky opportunity and it's probably going to give me a better long-term future. Um, so I put all my eggs, you know, in the in the TV basket, and I'm still receiving counselling for that decision. Well, you can always buy a car and go out and do TCM or something, can't you? <laughs> you can. Look, I gave it away for four years. Never went to a racetrack. Never spoke to anybody who went to a racetrack. Never watched it on television. Just went cold turkey because I knew I couldn't. I probably couldn't cope without it in my life very well, and I couldn't. Um, and then just once Family Feud was sort of bedded in and settled, I, I came back to GT cars um, once I had the time and, and ended up winning a championship there. So uh, just do it for fun now. Mm. Yeah. So um, a gold Logie or a Bathurst win? Which would you Bathurst have? win. Bathurst yeah. win. What a <laughs> stupid question. Good question, yes. <laughs> yes. Now, we surveyed 4,000 race fans at Bathurst. <laughs> <laughs> and we asked them who's going to win the race. What's the top answer? If we ask them, where did your chair blow away to? Most of them are too drunk to know. <laughs> what was the question? Who's going to win? Oh. What's your top answer? <laughs> Some really experienced combinations, which is is kind of sort of really intriguing. Um, so I, I look. I think you, you look at who's the two most experienced. You know, it's, it's I suppose it's who you, it's, you got Tanda with Van Giz, and you got Craig and Jamie. Like that's that's. Pretty powerful. Not a bad lineup, is it? Yeah, although Will, you know, Will's going to be amazing. You know, uh, Will Davison with Cam Waters. I think that's going to be a pretty special combination. Big. I think that. I think that um, Will comes alive there. That's his place. Uh, yeah. He he's, he's, he finds a little extra in the tank when he turns up to there. So with the way their cars are going at the moment, you know, there's reasonable pace in in in, in their machines, and I think I think they'll be half a chance. Yeah, we had them on last week's podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, did you? Oh, you're ahead of the game. Yeah, we had both of them. They'd be feeling pretty good about it. 
Yeah, I think there's a certain level of confidence. I mean, you look at it, the car's going well, um, and if you look at all the co-drivers, Will's the most recent bloke out of the seat. Um, yeah, yeah, he is, and 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 hungry. So yeah, yeah, I, th- yeah. I, I think yeah. that'll be good. It's kind of nice to see that you know Triple Eight has closed the gap to to Penske now. Um, you know, massive massive pressure on Slade. Like to jump in that seat, you know, not having done any miles, uh, the limitations of of that have been put on us by COVID this year, um, you know, to jump to jump in in that car. I suppose the championship's wrapped up, so there's slightly less pressure for him. But changes it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, I guess it does. And he's got to be better than Alex Premer anyway, you would think. So uh, not a bad move. Yeah, Alex was pretty average last year. I know that Tony Tony Delberto, uh, who I, who I've been racing with the last couple of years in production cars, you know, he he outperformed Alex, you know, pretty comfortably last year. Alrighty, well, we're jealous because we're not going to be there. So, um, oh, we're going to miss you guys. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be relying on you for the colour, <laughs> excitement, <laughs> all that stuff. You know, I'll be certainly trying to bring it, mate, make, uh, making it good for you. You you when you do watch it, do you watch it on Foxtel or do you watch it on? I suppose you do. I'll watch it. I'll watch you first, and then switch to Foxtel so I don't get ads. Oh, you yeah. sweetheart! You are. That's the kind of thing <laughs> I do too. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't normally watch it at home, so um, it's no, it's of course. Hard to say. So uh, this it's year, got a bit weird. This year's a very different I, experience. I'm thinking of setting up a timing monitor and making it look like the media center, and then just put it put the television up on a stand, and I feel like I'm in the media center, just sitting there watching on television. I oh, just no, I've already, never I've get already that. got it worked out. I've got a little two little table there for one laptop. I've got a little table there for another laptop, and then I've got a spot in front for my for my iPad, and then I've got the new big 65 inch TV up there, and you know I'm ready. Are you going to get one of those hats with the two beer can holders and the straws down your mouth? <laughs> no, I'm working. I don't drink. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'll, I'll be eating. <laughs> It'll be like race weekend. The fridge won't open till five. Oh, yeah, God. okay. Yeah, good idea. Good idea. <laughs> but you'll well, be watching it, boys. You know, thanks for all the memories that we, we that we shared sort of down there in the lane over the years. You're always two very lovely human beings. Always just uh, even to the little guys, and I was a little guy back then. There was no one little up. <laughs> and, uh, and you're always so patient and kind and polite and um, and obliging and 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 sometimes pit lane can be a fairly intimidating place there's a lot of big characters down there and there's a lot of sometimes angry people uh, and you <laughs> were you two were, were two of the nicest so i appreciate that for, thanks for that over thanks the years great. no worries well thanks for joining us on this podcast and uh, as i say best of luck next week we, we will tune in for some of it at least take care guys all the best thanks. see ya cheers great Here we are, race week at Bathurst, and it's one of the most uncertain in history. Yes, there's the usual suspects, but we get the feeling this race will be anything but usual, pretty much like this year in total. So, hunt for the dark horses and the underdogs. See who can battle what looks like uncertain weather and co-drivers who haven't really done much driving at all this year. If you can't beat the mountain like us, grab a copy of the official program from the team at Supercar Extra magazine, park yourself in front of the TV and settle in for a long day. We just love this race and we can't wait.